Good morning. How are you guys? I really, really mean it. Uh, so Ryan Friday, um, he was facing me. He said that I always ask people how are they doing, and I'm so excited to see them. And I just say that to everyone just to pass time. So this morning, I just want to say that I really mean it. It's... <laughs> It's great to be here with you guys. So if we haven't met, my name is Usne Temba, and I have a privilege with a group of amazing leaders of leading our high school ministry here that is called Frequency. Um, and if you've been with us for the past two weeks, you would be aware that we are currently going through a series that is called The Cure. Uh, so this, this series is spread out over eight weeks. We going to be tackling eight topics that all spread uh, through this, this topic. Um, so the assumption, the overall assumption um, over this series is that there is a disease. And as there's this disease, it needs to be cured. And there's also an assumption that this thing that we come here each and every Sunday and gather around, that thing is the gospel. Gospel is the good news about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This thing that we gather around has a cure or something to cure this disease that we are talking about. Uh, so for the first week of this series, Laura tackled the big topic of grace and how God's grace given to us freely becomes this cure to this disease. And last week, Stephen tackled the big topic of the kingdom and how living as God's people in the kingdom in this world, living as though the kingdom is here, but not yet, is a cure to this disease. This week, I will be looking at a topic of, of uh, personal gospel renewal. It's quite a mouthful. Uh, this, I'll be looking at how does, how does the gospel become a cure to the person first? You might have an idea that, yes, there's something wrong with the world. I don't need to convince you about that. But first, before we cure what's happening in the world, how do we use this thing that we gather around, the gospel, to cure the person first? The other topics that we're going to look at, oh, that slide came out quite not how I thought it would be. So the other topics would be the gospel renewal in the church. That's what we'll be looking at next week. Uh, the other topics we'll be looking at are worldviews. When we look at the world outside of that window, what do we see? Is there a difference between the way that a person that believes in Jesus and the person that doesn't believe in Jesus see the world? Is there a difference there? And then the other one will be biblical high theology. We'll look at evangelism and community. We'll be doing a little bit of that at the park today. And lastly, we'll be looking at justice. And I want to encourage you to keep on coming and following through with us on this topic because I believe these topics that we'll be discussing are very, very rich for a life of a believer. So the first question you might ask yourself is, what is personal gospel renewal? <laughs> so to answer this question, I want to read straight out of a resource that we are using. Uh, by city to city. <laughs> you know like when you plan something so well? But you know what? The devil is a liar. We're just going to pull through. Uh, so we're going to quote from a, a resource that has been given to us by the Redeemer City to City that uh, Pastor Andrew was sharing to us um, about today. And 
what I want to use this code to kind of just give us a bit of context in what we're talking about. So this resource puts it this way. It says, the gospel changes everything. That is a way to say that the gospel is not merely the way that we receive salvation. It also alters every sphere of our lives. It propels us through every stage of Christian growth. It resources us for every difficulty and the challenges that we face. So in particular, the gospel gives us new motives. It reorders the lives of our hearts and it reframes our behavior, all in order to renew us into Christ's likeness. The gospel alone has the power to do this. And this is called personal gospel renewal. So what I want to do is to sort of flesh out this big mouthful phrase that is the gospel personal renewal and that the three components in this. One, there is the personal. Two, there is the gospel. And three, there is the renewal part. So the personal is the individual, you. Not so much what you do, but who you are. Jesus in Mark 7, verse 18, he puts it this way. He says, food doesn't go into your heart, but it only passes through the stomach and then it goes into the sewer. And then he added, it is what comes from the inside that defiles you. So who you are is not determined by what surrounds you or much about what you consume, but rather what your heart tends to generate. Proverbs 4.23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything that you do flows from it. That is who you are. And then there's the gospel part. The gospel is the good news that we gather around here each and every Sunday. So the good news about a good and generous God who out of his generosity and his grace has given himself for the sins of others. He came and he died, was buried, and resurrected on the third day. Paul in Ephesians, he, puts, he says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those that refuse to obey God. All of us who used to live in that way, following the passions and desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. But by our very own nature, we were object to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead of our sins, he gave us life that when, when he raised Christ from the dead, it is only by God's grace that we have been saved. That is the gospel. And then the renewal part is the power then that raised Christ from the dead is now at work in our lives. And it gives us a new life. Romans 6, 4 says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So it's those three parts, personal, the gospel, and the renewal. So as you read through 
the Gospels. The Gospel gives Christians a clear call to change their lives after hearing its message. I'm sure that you've heard of the saying that says, come as you are, but do not stay as you are. The, the, the Gospel requires a response from our lives. So the Gospel calls us to grow in grace. This is First Peter 2 and 3. The Gospel calls us to grow in spiritual maturity, calls us to grow in love, in self-control, perseverance, peace, joy, humility, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and in patience. These are the fruits of the Spirit. So through growing in these areas, we will be increasingly transformed into Christ-like people. So if you've ever wondered, how do we know that we have been transformed into these people that look like Christ? Actually, the fruits of the lives that we live become a good indicator of that transformation. So from this part, we could be very tempted to wanting to talk about the five steps that we can take in order for us to live this renewed life. I was tempted to do that at first, but I am now convinced that Replacing bad habits with good ones is just simply not enough. What we do when we do that is that we're looking at symptoms and curing the symptoms. But the problem with that is that the things that we struggle with are much more deeper than just the, the, the habits that we have. Paul puts it away, he says, everything that we see on the surface of our lives, how we talk, the way we do life, is just fluff, it's just on the surface. Really, if you want to know what people believe and how they form their lives, look at what's happening in their hearts. So our actions become this result of what happens in our hearts. Um, so building on our last two messages, Laura uh, talked about God's grace and how that grace changes us and how receiving that grace transforms us into um, at a different kind of, pe of people. And then Stefan last week told us how to live as a, as a kingdom people, as a uh, people that is in a kingdom that is already fully here, but it's still yet to come. Um, at the center of those two messages, there's the grace, there's the kingdom, but at the center of that, in order for you to, be, to, to fully experience what God is giving to us, you need to have a changed heart. So you know what we really do when we try to substitute bad habits? Uh, it's just all about the symptoms, right? Bad habits should not just be substituted with good ones. We must just go a bit deeper than that. So until the love of God finds its roots into the heart of a believer, everything else that you do is just an orchestration for a particular result that you want to get from God. So we do this a lot by saying, oh man, if I just pray and fast a bit, maybe God is going to give me what is favorable to me. Really, what we're doing that is, is that we're just orchestrating, we're trying to play with God, right? Um, so if I try to live a holy life just to get what, um, what I want, it is the same self-centered motivation that drives me into sin. So who can agree with me in this room that it is much more easier to do things out of love 
Is there anyone that can agree with me on that one? So I was speaking to Carolina today about the, about the picnic that we're having on the park, and she was sharing with me that actually Mladen has went to the park to save a spot for us for when we finish what we're doing here. And, and, and he says, she says that Mladen left the house at night just to come to try and go and fetch some balls for us so that we could be able to play at the park. And it was like, man, if you, when you love a person, it is much more easy to do things for them. I mean, I'm not talking about myself here, obviously. Um, a person might live all the way in Mowbray, and probably you might, for, for some time you've been trying to meet with this person, and when you invite them, to are like, hey, dude, please come, and we can hang out in Weinberg and all of that, and that person would be coming with all sorts of excuses as to why they can't meet with you today. But if it's a person that they love, let me tell you, it could be raining cats and dogs. That person from Mowbray will find their way to Weinberg, right? I mean, a person that has never ran to the kitchen or to the bathroom will be running marathons, all because of love. Some of us fall in love with like very weird sports like F1. Man, you're watching cars going on circles. What's, what's that all about? But because you love a person, you know, you spend time with them and you love them. Because because of love, it's easy to pick up uh, those kind of things. So I'm I'm, I'm saying this thing all to say that when our hearts are tender and when they are made soft, we get this ability to change and to be able to, to, to do things that on a normal day we would not be able to do. So through the storyline of Scripture from Genesis up to Revelation, uh, the major theme is that in order for us to be these people that God calls us to be, we need a changed heart. Um, And these slides. (laughs) Okay, please just listen to me. (laughs) Um, So in Jeremiah 24, verse 7, Ezekiel uh, chapters 11 and chapter 36, and in Romans 12, you, you... you read that, okay, that, there's Jeremiah on the screen. Jeremiah says, 24-7, says, I will give them hearts that recognize me as their Lord. They will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me wholeheartedly. And in order for you to be, to, to be able to do this, you just need to have what? A new heart. Ezekiel says, and I will give them singleness of heart and put a new spirit within them. I will take away uh, their stony, stubborn hearts and I'll give them a tender, responsive heart. This is what God wants us to do. So Romans 12, 2 says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into the new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn how to do God's will for you. So you, you will hear that uh, in the Old Testament, guys like is, uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel will be talking about the heart. And Paul in the New Testament, he talks about the mind. This is just the, the technicality between the, the Hebrew and, and the Greek. In that, in the Old Testament, you'll hear people talking and God talking about mostly about what happens in the heart. So when the Old Testament thinks about the heart, it thinks of it as this central processing unit. So my grandmother... When I keep on doing like things that she doesn't like or things that are just mean to other people, she has a, there's a closer saying that says, 
which directly translates to you have a dirty heart. I mean, well, okay, I, I used to be a naughty kid. Don't see this. God, God's power is really amazing. Um, so so when, when, when she says that, I would ask myself and be like, but I mean, I did biology. The heart just pumps blood. How can the heart be any dirty? But this is, when the Bible talks about the heart, it doesn't talk about the heart the way that we understand it today. But think of it as a central processing unit where your feelings and your thoughts come from your heart. Paul then will come and talk about your mind. These are just really the same thing, right? And so throughout these scriptures that we've read, they say that through the whole of scripture, it is clear that sin entered the world and created in us hearts that are disobedient to God and the will of God as we read this, these scriptures. So what we really need is a changed heart. The hearts that we need are hearts that will be sensitive and will be responsive to the Spirit of God. So a guy called Thomas Chalmers puts it this way. He says that the only way to dispossess of an old affection, of an old heart, it is by the explosive power of a new one. So changing habits are not going to do the trick. What we really need is an entirely changed heart. So we live in a part of the world that is very much influenced by Western ways of thinking, right? When we try to find a solution to problems that we have, we run to the store and look for a book that says, uh, these are the five new ways that will help you to be a productive human, human being. So the intellectual problem, though, with the Western way of thinking is that it thinks that our problem is with a lack of knowledge. It thinks that we don't have enough information. But think about it this way, that if a person is a thief, they like stealing. You can take them to school all you like. They can read all the books in the world. But until they know that their problem is with the structure or how their heart is, they won't stop all of that stealing. I mean, we live in the 21st century, we get to see these things. So then, if we have received Christ, why do we struggle? What hinders this personal gospel renewal in our lives? I want to suggest that it is the idols that we have in our hearts. So idols take up space that belongs to God and they enthrone themselves above everything else. Tim Keller says, anything you seek to give, um, anything you seek that I think anything that seeks to give you what only God can give you, anything that is so central and essential to your life, that, that should you lose it, your life will feel hardly worth anything. In other words, an idol is a counterfeit God. So we have idols in our hearts, and these idols tend to hinder the power and the working of the gospel in our lives. So uh, this past week I was challenged by pride in my own heart and pride tends to be an outworking of a heart that is very, very distant from the will of God. So a resource that I was reading by the Gospel Coalition helped me to flesh these things out for me. I, I thought I was such a humble and non-prideful person. But I realized that in my fear, I fear because I lack faith in God I am enormously preoccupied with myself and I lack 
self-control. I am entitled, I deceive myself into thinking that I am better than I actually am, that I deserve better than I have, and that I think we deserve God's mercy. In my prayerlessness, pride deceives me into thinking that I can do life by myself and I am capable. It it deceives me into thinking that I am independent, I'm unstoppable, and I am self-reliant. So these things cause us to run away from God. So they cause us to run away from God and for us to create other hiding spaces. I was talking to a friend yesterday and, and he gave me this example that think about it when you've had a terrible day at work. What is the first thing that you do when you get home? Do you take that issue to another friend and just blab and complain about it? Do you binge watch Netflix to try and bury that experience? Or do you actually do what you need to do, which is to run to God? So if we don't do those things, if we run to Netflix and bury ourselves underneath that, if we go to friends and start to complain, that, that, that means that our hiding place is actually not in God and it's in something else. So we can look at what happened in the garden when Adam and Eve noticed that actually we're naked. That's after they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. First thing that they did, they created an alternate hiding place. They hid away from their God, right? They didn't run to him, but they created another space. So we tend to do these things also in our own lives. So ask yourself today, what is my hiding place? Is my hiding place hindering the full outworking of the finished work of Christ in my life? So then what is the cure to the problems that we have? I'm sure we can identify with one of the things that I've mentioned. But then if we are people that desire to live for the kingdom and we want to be people that God so desires to have in his kingdom, what, what can we do? Why does the cure? So I want to give you an illustration of what tends to happen um, to us, is that there are two kinds of people. They're both on the edges. One is lacks self-confidence. Person's balloon is deflated. The other person is on the other end. They are so full of themselves. They're overly confident. They think the world revolves around them. And these two people when they're faced really with what they're struggling with. One is a way that uh, I struggle with self-confidence. And the other one uh, realizes that actually, man, I'm, I'm so boastful, I'm full of myself. They think the solution is actually at the center. Uh, the one who's deflated says that, you know, I, I don't want to boast myself too much, but if I, if I just pump myself, inflate myself a little bit, that, that will cure my, my low self-esteem. And the person who's on the other end says that, because I'm so for myself, I just need to empty a bit and then I'll be somewhere at the center. I don't need to, 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 to become that person who's, who, who lacks self-confidence, but I just need to be somewhere at the center. Now, the problem with these two kinds of people is entirely the way that they look at themselves. So, now, when the gospel comes, it says to these two people, you are missing the whole thing. It says... Your problem doesn't 
begin with whether you're on either side of the spectrum, but your problem starts with the way that you look at yourself and the way and, and what's happening in your heart. The gospel, my Bible is there, but the gospel becomes the lens by which we view life. And it comes and it gives us entirely different sets of glasses that we should look at ourselves and also the world. So the gospel gives us a new lens. The cure is found in the gospel. Remember, we quoted at the, the beginning that resource from Redeemer City to City, and it said that the gospel actually it changes everything. So what does the renewed aspect of a person look like? It looks like us being sanctified. Sanctification is the process by which now that we've encountered the gospel and, and we've accepted God's grace, it starts working within us a new kind of person. That person won't be fully realized here on this side of heaven. It will be fully realized when the kingdom fully comes. But what the gospel does is that each and every day, it cleanses us, it washes us, and makes us new. And peop different people in this room are in different phases with sanctification. Some people are brand new to this whole thing. Some, some people have been on it for quite some time. But one thing that is true is that God's grace is sufficient for both of these people. The gospel functions differently than the way that we like to deal with our problems in our lives. Uh, we like to solve our problems by actually achieving. If I have a problem in my life, I think that, man, if, if I get another degree, if, if I achieve a certain type of car, or you name it, the, I'm naming these things for myself because I struggled with them, you name whatever that you think that if you have that particular, if you achieve that thing, you will cure whatever you're struggling with. But the gospel then comes and says that the solution to a fallen and selfish heart is that you should receive the free gift and the love and the grace that God freely gives rather than to try and achieve it. We struggle with this because it's, it's somehow like in our nature it's been so needed in our DNA that we just want to achieve. And when God actually comes and steps down and gives himself freely, we struggle with accepting that fully. So this friend yesterday said, the genesis or the beginning of a heart that needs to be saved by God is that it wants to achieve. I think that is massive. So we can never be the best versions of ourselves apart from Jesus because we are sinful from the roots. It is through denying ourselves, it is through picking up our cross and following Jesus, letting him change us and letting him give us new hearts, hearts that are sensitive to God. And only then will we become the kinds of people that he calls us to be. As I am going to land, I want to just explore this quote from a theologian that is called Martin Luther and what he says about love, the love of God. It's going to be on the screen here. It's there. It says, the love of God does not find, but it creates that which is pleasing to it. The love of man comes into being through that which is pleasing to it. Just that when the love of God does, does not 
when you find something is already there and you so happen to stumble on it and like, oh, there's something to love and that's what we tend to do. But rather the love of God creates. We might be people that are deemed unlovable. We might be people that have given up on ourselves. We might be people that stumble on this, pro- on this process of personal renewal in that, man, I've been trying to be this new person over and over again, but I just keep on failing. Now, what the love of God through the person of Jesus Christ does is that it gives of itself, and after giving of itself, it actually creates. It creates something that was never there. So even in our helplessness and our fallenness, we don't need to discover something that's there because it, it, it really isn't. We don't need to discover any goodness in our hearts because that goodness is not there. What we need is the love of God. Why? Because the love of God is the only thing that is able to create something that it deems lovable. So, this points, the love of God changes us. It is not by us changing first that we will be lovable to God. Just remember that. It is our response to the fact that we are loved <laughs> and that we are his children that will change us. It is this response to his grace and to being members of his kingdom that will change us. When we, when we understand those things that we are loved children, that there's nothing that we need to do for ourselves, we don't need those books with five points, they're not gonna do anything for us, but actually what we need is much more revolutionary than that. What we need is the love of God. Now, when we experience the love of God, we'll be able to live out of a place then of being. Because, shall it look as does not work to become your son, but out of a place of knowing and realizing that he's your son, he's able to be what you desire him to be. So the same function and works for us with God in that once we realize that we're God's children, it's out of that place that we'll be able to live as people of this kingdom. So what Stephen was talking about last week, we don't need to work for that. We don't need to fabricate uh, our personalities to fit what we think the people of the gospel look like, but what we genuinely need is to receive the, gospel, the, the, the love of God, and that will change us. So the last thing will be that once we respond to the love of God faithfully, once we respond to it faithfully, once we ponder it, once we look at it for what it really is, look at what Jesus did for us on the cross, did look at who he fully was, we will be able to fully change. I want to invite the band up on stage to help us with the landing song so that we can also, we can also pray. So my desire this morning is that you would experience God's love in your life first. And once you experience it in your life, it will bubble out into your surroundings. Renewal is not something that you cook up yourself. It is actually a gift that God gives. So our identity is an identity of the people that are loved and it is not because of what we have achieved, what we have in the bank account, or that we are so poor that God felt so sorry for us. 
but the main thing is that we are a loved people and out of that place, we are able then to live as the things that God deems lovable. So I want to pray for us. Uh, Father, I pray that this morning we would experience your love. I pray that as we experience it, that it would change us into the kinds of people that you call us to be. Father, whatever that you call beautiful, make us that. Whatever, Lord, that you deem desirable, make us that. This is the renewed person. Lord, I pray for those that may feel like they are far away from your love and that they would stop working and wanting to achieve that which you have given to them freely. Lord, I pray and thank you that you've given us new hearts. Hearts that will cause us to live as the people of the kingdom. As I will give over to the band as we pray for Clay and Merrick in the corner, if also you feel like God is speaking to you this morning, I want you to come closer to the elders and just ask them to lay their hands on you and pray. And that your eyes, Paul and in Ephesians talks about, he prays for our hearts, that our hearts may be enlightened to see God for who he is. That we might see how he's rich, his glorious riches, and how rich he is in mercy. Pray that as you come into this corner, that the Spirit of God will do something in your heart, that you'll be able to look at yourself in a mirror today as a child that is loved. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.